0: Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ here in lovely, scenic, postcard, picturesque, Thief River Falls. Got to put that plug in. We're also available beyond the FM dial at radionorthland.org. And you can pick us up live and in the moment on TuneIn. So there's plenty of places to check us out. Archives are available online, too. We have a SoundCloud page. uh, And then we have some episodes uh, coming up here with the offshoots. Uh, Yeah, good time to uh, be a wrestling fan, I definitely have to say here as we get into the uh, latter part of the month of January. January. i'm glenn Broggan along with my co-host down there deep in the heart of texas we say hello to the uh Grizzled vet Mike McCurdy out there getting ready to roll in the mobile studio. Well, you know, you got it, you got it in place. You're not rolling, literally, but you are ready and turned on for another edition of Wrestling Memories then and now. And, and this is kind of a fresher episode as we're taping today. We're uh, uh, on a Saturday, the day before our, our usual airing. So, you know, we usually, we, we do record. We don't, uh, you know, try to pull that we're live and in the moment stuff. Uh, but this is definitely a, really a kind of the freshest episode we've had in quite some time
1: definitely man we got a little 24-hour turnaround this weekend you know kind of had to mix up the schedule you know you you your new job you know kind of changed a little bit of things here so you know but you know what i like working on i like having a saturday off get to sit and talk about some rational memories i don't have to work i get to relax get to enjoy some time with our guests so you know i I could get used to a saturday yeah maybe one day we'll go live on a sunday who knows
0: You know, I would definitely be down for that. Uh, There's going to be some parts in my, you know, my schedule where a lot of weekends where I will be around. And if it works out for both of us, I'm definitely game for that because, you know, this originally this program did start as a live uh, program that aired on Saturday mornings uh, from uh, 11 to to 1 initially. Then we went back to an hour form uh, format uh, a few years into it. I mean, for our ninth season, we might as well, uh, you know, kind of go back to some of that old school uh, element. I think that uh, you're on to something there, uh, Mr. Uh, McCurdy,
1: there you go, man. Live it in the moment. That's always fun, and you never know what you're going to get when you're live. Yeah, That's the great part.
0: Definitely, you can bring definitely. back Steve
1: Cox for a live episode.
0: Well, I, I don't know if we want to. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a fluttering here. I, 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 I don't know. He's a great guest, though. That's what I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say about that. He's a, was a great guest. You know, yeah, we are. Uh, you know, like that. Twenty, like you said the 24 hour turnaround. At the time this airs, uh, we would be about uh, two days removed uh, from. Well, another big NWA uh, pay-per-view. I mean, they're they're getting back in the game here with the YouTube Power Program. Uh, hard times, and there was a lot of uh, news, kind of out of uh, hard times uh, on Friday out of uh, Atlanta, as the uh, a few champions were crowned and uh, Thunder Rosa winning the uh, NWA Women's Championship uh, from Allison K. That was a pretty big surprise, but uh, a well earned uh, championship honor uh, for Thunder Rosa.
1: That was a great match, man, I actually. I actually got home last night. I watched the uh, end, the, so I got to see all this stuff. So, congratulations to Thunder Rosa. You know, once again, one of, one of our locals, man. Thunder Rosa is a, is a big part of the Texas wrestling scene out here. And, of course, also the new NWA television champion, Ricky Starks. He's another, you know, you see him on a lot of main events here in Texas. In fact, our guests may have encountered Ricky Starks once or twice. Don't know. We'll have to ask.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh yeah, another uh champion crown they brought back the NWA bringing back the classic red belt for the NWA Television Championship. Had a fun little qualifying uh, matches into the turn on the on the Power program into the tournament that was uh featured prominently on Hard Times on the big pay-per-view. And uh, yeah, big 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 honor too for Ricky Starks and uh, new tag team champions. Um, the Rock and Roll Express is run is, is is done here for now, as uh, James Storm and Eli Drake taking taking the titles. How, how, I mean, I didn't get a chance to watch. I did uh, see some of the recap, but w- what can you say about the tag match, Michael? We'll talk a little bit about this before we get to our guest. Well, you know, I mean?
1: You know, the NWA pay per views are just like the NWA power. Man, it, it's the old school. It's still in the same studio, you know. But there's that old school wrestling feel. And to see the Rock and Roll Express there, and also James Storm and Eli Drake, very old-school style guys as well. I mean, great match, very hard-hitting match. I enjoyed the entire show. I'm going to say that from beginning to end, I enjoyed the entire show. I watch NWA Power every Tuesday or Wednesday when I get the chance. But, you know, I enjoy the show. It's a, it's fun. It's a throwback, you know, where you don't have to deal with all the all the soap operas and the weddings and the, you know, Lesbian whatever's And whatever's going on On WWE So You know It's kind of fun To sit back And get to watch enjoy the NWA
0: Oh, absolutely, and uh, of course, being a fan and growing up on that old television wrestling, I mean, the nostalgia kick from seeing the way the set is, uh, you know, the setup and stuff for, for the shows, I mean, just that is uh, enough to draw me in, And and the wrestling is very, very good. I mean, of course, uh, Tim Storm was in the uh, TV tournament last night. we got to mention him, a, a past, previous guest on Wrestling Memories, then and now. And uh, National Treasure, well, before we go, we got to talk about, uh, you know, the ROH-NWA uh, fusion that's going on here, uh, now kind of with Marty Scurll, uh, you know, upping with the Ring of Honor and taking a more prominent role in the booking process. Uh, he uh, making his presence also known in the NWA uh, in an angle now with the National Treasure NWA champion Nick Aldis who every time I've watched him I get I gain more and more respect for him uh, since his days as Magnus where I was a little iffy on him uh, as far as I didn't know if he would. I mean he had solid in-ring work but I didn't know where he was going to go with his character personality but he's really done some great stuff with the, the, the championship uh, with the NWA title and uh, his uh, match last night to kind of an ROH mix with, with, with Flip Gordon.
1: Yes, definitely. That was, that was a great match. As well, and I'm really impressed with Nick Aldis, like you said. Definitely has, uh, you know, improved and moved on from, you know, his days as Magnus. Not that he was bad, you know, as Magnus in TNA and all that, but oh, he grew. You know, he, he seemed to kind of, you know, kind of matured and kind of come into his own with, uh, you know, now as the NWA champion.
0: Yeah, it, it brings a throwback to the title, you know, uh, just a stoic champion who is good on the mic, uh, good on the on the mic, you know, good in the ring. Just kind of the, the combination. But we got to talk about the NWA because this gentleman, uh, our guest today, uh, has a, a link to the NWA with the National Wrestling Alliance. As far as the Junior Heavyweight Championship goes, and that's kind of a, a, a title I'd like. You know, as the television title gets rolled out, that would be kind of the title that I would like to see next. Because I mean, as far as moving and evolving here with the NWA brand.
1: Well, definitely, man. Our guest is, you know, like you said, he does have ties with the, uh, the NWA. I believe the last NWA junior heavyweight champion. You know, it'll be interesting to kind of talk with him and kind of get his uh, his side of this whole thing with the NWA and, you know, maybe see if we might see him on uh, NWA Power someday.
0: Well, actually, yeah. So, uh, hey, Mike, you take it away, give the intro, and uh, we'll start going with our guest. We've kept him for, for too long before we're getting to talk to him now. He's been a previous guest. We've got to be more cordial.
1: Yeah. Yes, definitely. He's probably tired of listening to us by now. But man, our guest, you know, like I said, the, the last NWA junior heavyweight champion here in the local area, we refer to him as the king of Texas. He has many titles, also likes to refer to himself as 50 caliber. Um, but personally, I'm just going to introduce him as I know him. Our guest today on Rast of Memories, none other than Barrett Brown. Barrett, welcome back to the show, man. I appreciate it, guys. How are you doing? We're doing good, man. We're doing good. I'm I'm sorry you had to kind of listen to us yap for a few minutes there about the, uh, you know, the NWA hard times pay-per-view. But, you know, let's kind of start off with that, because like I said, you know, uh, you're, I believe, the last NWA junior heavyweight champion before it moved over to Billy Corgan. Have you been following, you know, NWA and NWA power and all that's been going on since, you know, Corgan took over?
2: Yeah, I have, and um, you know, I'm really proud of what they've been doing. And uh, it goes into what I've been saying, man. Like we, in my opinion, are in like a new golden age in wrestling. And I mean, there's every form of media is covering wrestling right now, and uh, including the NWA on YouTube with NWA Power. They just got done with their big pay per view last night, and I mean, I'm proud of those guys and what they're doing. Um, and I talked to Tim Storm a lot, you know, and I'm I'm glad that they're using him a lot, so. Uh, it's just it's really cool to see the business expand in all these avenues that it's going right now
1: now as the you know the last nwa junior heavyweight champion has there been any you know, or if you can say has there been any talk of possibly you know resurrecting that title you know bringing it back with that title or you know anything, anything along those lines
2: i mean on and off but i can't really confirm or deny anything as far as that goes but um as of right now, the division is inactive, but that's really all I can say at, at this point.
1: Even though you said it's inactive and all that, you're, you were still the final title holder. What was it like to actually have the NWA junior heavyweight title? Because, you know, there was a great lineage of that dating well back before, you know, the time frame that we know now.
2: It was, it was a dream come true, man, because when I first started training, um, My original trainer was a very, very big fan of, you know, the old school, uh, world class days and the old school NWA. And um, there was a point where I said that if I ever got the chance to even wrestle for the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship, then I would feel like my career had come full circle. But just the fact that I had the opportunity to actually hold the championship for a few months was unreal to me and even though I didn't get the chance to actually defend it overseas um it was still surreal that I got to you know hear announcers call me the world junior heavyweight champion you know stuff like that it was just it was beyond what I would have ever fathomed when I
1: first started in this business now it's been two years you know roughly about two years since we had you on as a I guess you came on just a few months after I had a started with the show, and I've just now celebrated my second anniversary as co-host. Glenn hasn't kicked me to the curb yet, so I consider that a uh, <laughs> you know, milestone. But <laughs> in those two years, you know, you've definitely you know expanded your repertoire. You've definitely moved on to different areas. One, including, this is the one I really want to kind of get into. You've been attending the NWA dojo camps in California, and not only that, you just recently made your New Japan pro wrestling debut in Anaheim so let's talk a little bit about that. How did you get involved with the dojo camps and just kind of take us through the experience of getting the train in the in, 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 yeah, New Japan Dojo? Uh,
2: I'll start this off by saying that um, me even applying for one of the dojo camps in Los Angeles was probably the best decision I made in my entire career, um, just because I've always been a huge fan of that style. And going into the dojo, it completely changed my mindset on training and what the business meant to me. Um, it made me 10 times the performer that I was before I stepped in there. Even, even just one week in the dojo, I learned, you know, a lifetime of experience under Story Shibata. So, um, I've been to that dojo. I want to say at this point, about 12 times, um, just, constantly learning under shibata and his knowledge is unbelievable and even though i mean you know he had the uh that injury of his that all but in his enduring career but his passion that he still has to be in that ring and teach you it's it's unbelievable and when i got the call to be in anaheim to debut um for New Japan at Lions Break Project 2 on December 7th and 8th of last year, uh, that that was a dream come true. And it, it was it was an experience that I won't ever forget. Um, I told the guys when I got done that uh, it, it took everything that I had not to just break down and cry when I made my entrance because it, it's something that I've waited on for so long.
1: Now, I had the chance to watch that match. It's now available uh, for our listeners, you can find it on YouTube. It is a, a free match to watch now. Excellent match, and the thing I enjoyed about it most is even though it was in you know it was in Anaheim, it you know was still a New Japan match, and it still had that New Japan. The audience still was that New Japan style. You know, the fans watching the show. You guys got to go in the ring. You know, you you'd work a bit. You know, run a couple chains, and then they would applaud if they saw something they liked. Or you know, and it was still that same style. You know, of audience. So I'm wondering, how does I translate to like, you know, normally a, a normal wrestling audience? You know, like here in Texas, as compared to you know when you're at the New Japan Ring and you have that New Japan style crowd. It,
2: it was it was crazy, man. Um, I think that it was a situation of those people knew what they were going to see um, because Alex Coughlin, um, the guy that I wrestled, I've trained with him constantly at that dojo. So we already knew each other inside and out once we got to that ring, And, you know, once we just grappled and the crowd came up in in the back of my head, I thought, this is, this is like being in Japan. You know, that this is like watching a crowd in Japan, like you said, Um, you know, then you have, like you said, a lot of different crowds in Texas. Um, They have their, their different flavors that they like, you know, they like to see a lot of flips and stuff like that. But I think that all in all, if they see something that they think looks smooth and it looks good and it looks believable, that they're going to connect with you. And I think that that's why we got such a reaction. And I think that that's why, you know, the Japanese crowds react so accordingly is because, I mean, it's, it's pretty much real. You know what I mean?
1: Well, definitely over there, you know, over in Japan, it's still covered in the, in the newspapers, you know, in the sports section, and all. you'll, you'll see the uh, results on it. Now, as a performer though, does it throw you off? You know, cause you're in one crowd, say in Texas or Mississippi, or whatever, and they're reacting to everything they see in the ring and they're chanting your name or they're booing or they're cheering, whichever. And then you go to a new Japan ring and it's, they're quiet. They're appreciating what they see. And then they, like you said, they, they come up and you know, give you your praise, and then it goes back down. Does that throw you off a little bit in the ring as a performer? Is what's the adjustment process for that?
2: I think it's just. Uh, I think that's situational. Um, I, I do my best to not let the crowd dictate what I do, but I do my best to dictate how the crowd feels. Um, I'm I'm becoming very big on taking them on an emotional roller coaster ride um, because I believe that the realism of what we do is dictated by a feeling and by emotion. And if I can get those people to connect with me on an emotional level in any aspect, then I know that I will have done my job well. And, and it goes along with what I tell a lot of people, um, and I will believe this until the day that I stop this. Um, but I'm a firm believer that if you do not believe in what you do in that ring, then why should the people believe in you either? Um, I always have believed that they are going they're going to subconsciously know if you do not believe in what you're doing and at the same time they're going to also subconsciously know if you have a confidence about you and so i feel that if you can carry that confidence and make them feel something then you're doing your job
1: now leading up to your 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 Anaheim debut you said you've been over to the dojos and like 12 times over however span of time can you kind of take us through just a little bit of what the training process is in one of those dojo camps as compared to the training that you know you receive when you're first breaking into the ring? Kind of take us through a little bit of you know what the dojos like.
2: So, um, whenever I first started training, it was you know basically you know you know you take your bumps, you learn to run the ropes and stuff like that. Um, at the dojo, it's so much more in depth because you you don't even you're lucky if you get to really touch the ring in the first day of uh, of one of the camps. Um, it's a lot of mental and physical, um, just brutality, man. Like that, San is dead set on seeing what your physical and mental capabilities are, and he's he's going to make you push past what you believe your limits are. Um, you 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 have to go in there and really you have to just swallow your pride and you have to expect the unexpected because you're going to go through some insane stretches, insane workouts, um, and all these different exercises before you even touch the ring of the rolls and stuff like that. And even the rolls are different. Like I had to just throw basically eight years of knowledge out the front door by the time I got into that ring because I had to relearn almost every one of the basics that I thought that I knew well just to learn the style that he taught. And to me, the style that he taught made so much more sense to me. And it's not that saying that, you know, one style is wrong and one style is right. It's just that his style is the one that I had always wanted to learn. And, And now it's a situation of me... You know, kind of combining everything that I've learned from, you know, from Texas, from the dojo, from all these other places that I've gone and I've learned and making my own style out of it, but primarily focusing on the teachings of Shibata. So it's just a lot of mental and physical beatings, basically, and then a lot of in-ring work
1: and a ton of ground grappling. Now, you, you said 12 times, so obviously, you know, you're, you're enjoying these dojos and all Now, as you go through, is there, like, a level, like, you know, there's the beginning and then as you keep going, it expands up to, you know, the different levels or whatever, or do you just start working with, you know, newer students? You know, how does that work as you go over, like you said, 12 different times? What, 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 what's a little different each time? As far as, like, experience levels? Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, obviously from the first time you're there might be, you know, it's something new to you, but by the 12th time, you know, you know more about it. Are you working with the newer students that are coming into these dojos or is it just kind of like the levels increase of, you know, what you're learning? I gotcha. Yeah.
2: I mean, th- there's always something new to learn there. And, um, you know, after I've been there a few times, um, I'm going to obviously see some of the same things, um, but there, there have been times in the last few camps where they have had me, uh, lead some of the drills and help some of the newer guys at the camps, um, that were having some trouble learning some of the stuff that, you know, that even I had trouble learning during my first uh, couple of camps. Um, and then there have been some invite only camps that I was invited to where it wasn't treated as a camp. It was actually treated as professional training. And that was, That was a real eye opener to what those guys go through on a daily basis at the dojo, because anything that we went through at one of the camps, you had to dial the intensity up by about three, and then you really got a taste of what a day in the LA dojo is actually like. Whenever you are a young line in that system,
1: you know you're learning, you know the different techniques, and you said you had to take what you knew, what you thought, you know that you know, you were good at it, had to throw that out the door and, you know, you're learning the new techniques. How has that been coming back to, you know, Texas, Arkansas, Mississippi, you know, the other areas you've worked in and taking what you've learned at the dojos and then applying it to, you know, wrestling here. It's hard to say because a lot of what I've learned at the dojo,
2: um, there's a lot of it that is going to be very hard to apply to a lot of different people, whatever they wouldn't be sure of what I'm doing. Like, I don't want people to think that I'm, you know, trying to quote unquote shoot on them or whatever. But I think that in the most part, it has helped me as far as my confidence, uh, my footwork and my overall intensity in the ring and my smoothness. Um, Shibata-san is so big on... You know, stuff making sense and your footwork and just how crisp something looks. Because I am uh, just like Shibata. I'm very big on, you know, if you if you take your time, you don't rush something. If something looks crisp and smooth, it could look quicker than it actually is. So, with that mentality, I wanted to come back uh, from the LA dojo every time and just be even smoother and crisper and. Just from talking to different people, every time that I came back, they said that it something had changed about me for the better, and I think that it's just that mindset of coming back and applying that knowledge from the previous camp.
1: Well, I can definitely say, you know, man, I've watched a lot of your stuff on social media and all that, and definitely been a you know a definite change over the last couple of years from you know when I was working with you back, you know, at shows here and there uh definite change very professional I've enjoyed a lot of what I've seen um you've mentioned his name a few times now obviously the trainer with the uh the dojo and it's Shibata. can you tell our listeners a little bit about Shibata a little bit about kind of you know his background and for you know our listeners who may not be familiar with the name so
2: uh Katsura Shibata is basically uh, a legend as far as Japanese wrestling goes um He's been around for so long, and he I don't think you're going to find somebody that knows how to make professional wrestling more of a believable physical contest than shabbat I san I think that he is the – how should I word it? I think that he is the one guy that I, I love to watch just because of how real he makes everything look. And I think, honestly, it's because he, he knows what he's doing. He he teaches us so many techniques, um, and, I mean, and real techniques, like how to actually choke somebody out, how to actually, you know, break an arm, stuff like that. Like He knows what he's doing, and he could if he wanted to. <clears throat> um, and, unfortunately, his last match against uh, Kazuchiko Kata, um, he hit a headbutt, got a major injury and it put him out uh, what could be, I mean, his career could be over, but he has such a passion for this industry that whenever he was given the option to run the L.A. Dojo, he jumped on it, and to this day, he will still strap on a head guard and get in there and try to, you know, wrap somebody up, so he, he doesn't want to stop. He loves this too much, but... You know, it's scary to watch him do it, but at the same time, even if he's at just 10%, he knows so much that, you know, even us at
1: 100%, we couldn't even touch him. Now, you just recently, you know, we, we just established this. You made your debut um, in Anaheim. What's coming up next? Is there any more? What's coming up next as far as uh, New Japan goes? Is there any more dojos coming up? Do you have any more matches scheduled? And is there a chance, you know, you will be going over to Japan to work over there?
2: So all of that is still uh, in talks. Um, whenever I was in Anaheim, <clears throat> um, I was told that I will be back. Uh, we're working on dates as we speak. Uh, they're doing a tour currently with some of the main roster guys, and um, <clears throat> but they are planning on doing some uh, a New Japan of America shows uh, this year and, and in the near future. So hopefully you'll see me there um, if everything works out. Um, right now, No talks of Japan yet, but hopefully if the ball gets rolling and um, the momentum keeps up, then, you know, maybe you'll see me take a flight overseas sometime soon.
1: All right, I'm going to hand the microphone over to Glenn. I'm sure he's got a few questions for you.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. You're you're uh, listening to Wrestling Memories then and now on Pioneer 90.1 with our guest, 50-caliber Barrett Brown, and uh, you talked about your, your training and uh, very fascinating stuff, uh, learning at the dojos. And what has that been like to uh, take all of this knowledge now and apply that uh, not only in Japan, working for New Japan events, but taking that out to, to the indies in, in tw- present day 2020-2019? What, what's it been like, uh, and, and what has the level of competition been like uh, for you on the indies now as you have been progressing and and learning because you know i'm looking at the pro wrestling you mentioned earlier as being part of a a goal in the midst of a golden age i mean you're seeing so much uh so much wrestling now more more so than ever is getting a profile i mean some of the and some of the younger talent i mean you, you could probably turn on a tv watch AEW, and see guys you've worked with but what has that been like uh to uh, you know keep on going and honing your craft and applying that uh on the indies uh say from where you were a few years ago
2: it's just been, it's been amazing, man. Like I, it's hard to actually put it into words because like you said, there, there's been so many guys that I've wrestled with that, uh, are on TV now and, and coming back from the dojo and going to the indies and applying what I've learned. It's, it's really cool because a lot of people, they'll ask me, you know, where I learned this technique, or where I learned this. And, Um, it's funny because I, where I live, I actually have a training facility as a part of my house. So I can just open a door and walk into a facility and there's a ring and I will invite some guys that, you know, that I trust to come out and I will help them out. And, you know, and I've always said that this business in a way saved my life. And if I can, in some way, kind of help some of these guys and kind of give back a little bit and give back to the business that, that took me in, then I know that I'll have done something right. Um, because, uh, I will always be a believer that I owe this business, everything that this business owes me nothing. Um, and I'm just forever grateful for everything that I've learned in this business. So if I can give back to it in some way, then I always will.
0: Yeah, and you're such a student of the game. Uh, This almost is kind of like, uh, I don't know, going full circle because, you know, you're bringing in guys that you're seeing something and you want to uh, kind of shape and kind of give some advice to. This is not unlike some of the stuff and some of the seminars that you went to as well in your pursuit of not only doing the training, but some of the stuff of just sitting and learning and sitting under that tree of a lot of uh, veterans and a lot of current stars that uh, are people who are on the bubble. Uh, It really must have uh, helped and it really must be kind of interesting interesting feeling, though, to come full circle to be able now to impart some of your knowledge that you have accrued and acquired through the years.
2: Absolutely. Um, I, I tell people this all the time, man. It's because I started this when I was 15 years old. And if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be at 25 years old actually being invited to do some kind of seminars or that I would have people looking to me for advice, stuff like that. I, I mean, in a way, it might sound silly, but I still don't feel like I'm qualified enough to give that advice because I still feel like I'm new to this. I'm. It's weird to not be the youngest guy in the locker room anymore. It's weird to be looked at as a guy for knowledge, um, but when I look at what I've done, I guess in a way I understand. But it's just it's a very surreal feeling.
0: You know, and the thing is, uh, you know, you you look at some of the guys that you in in you've worked with uh through the years. I mean, these these are some big players now in a lot of like as we mentioned earlier in a lot of the major companies like you could turn on uh, AEW and you can watch guys that you've worked with. I mean, uh, you know, like your your Sammy Guevara, I mean, of course Ray Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. and another guy that uh, has really benefited from from this exposure and having a national cable audience. I think, and it's kind of upped his profile, a guy that's been putting it, uh, you know, putting some years in the ring, is Darby (laughs) Allen, who's kind of become a fascination, who has gone beyond more than just his tombstone, uh, his finisher, to becoming more of a credible thing in the eyes of uh, even some of the hardened, uh, early, you know, grizzled wrestling fans. So what's your take uh, on the AEW so far, using some of the guys that you have worked with? And can you talk a little bit about working with a Darby and, of course, a Sammy Guevara? You talked about the Texas Indies. I mean, that's another clear example of uh, another sensation to come out of it.
2: It's it's so crazy, you know, to see <clears throat> so many of these guys that I've shared the ring with on, you know, on national, on worldwide TV every week, man. Um, yeah, I've known Sammy for such a long time. I shared the ring with Darby, I believe, once. I've shared the locker room with him multiple times. Um, and I've, I wrestled Pentagon one-on-one and Ray Phoenix in a triple threat match. And those guys, all four of those guys, man, they are just unbelievable, unbelievable in ring talents. Uh, Sammy is just, I love Sammy to death. He's a he's a very large child at heart, um, and Darby Allen is just absolutely crazy with all the stuff that he does. Uh, and it goes along with I think that you know wrestling has a place for everybody, um, you know, and. It's like, as far as AEW goes, I think that they do a good job of covering different bases of wrestling because people like different flavors of ice cream. And so, you know, one person might like women's wrestling. One person might like crazy flips and stuff. One person might like some kind of death-defying maneuver. One person might like old-school grappling. And in a way, AEW kind of is covering a lot of those bases. And therefore they're going to, you know, make a lot of different people happy. So I think that, you know, with that uh, with that structure, I think that they're they're doing a pretty cool thing. So I'm excited to see where they go from here. And I know that they're supposed to be what well, they have an extension through twenty twenty three, I believe. So I'm excited to see where they go.
0: Yeah, and the fact that there, you know, another show will be added uh, to uh, the, the national cable landscape. They got a second uh, AEW show that it will be airing here soon uh, on TNT or whatever branch of the Turner tree that. Uh, you know those channels, those networks, uh, wherever it'll land, It's, it's going to be cool. I mean, it's again more chances, more opportunities for not only some of the veterans. I mean, there's been you know other companies in the past that have uh, you know to compete or thinking they're in direct competition with the WWE will uh, bulk up the lot, you know, bulk up the roster with lots of big names from the past. And you know, I think this is kind of a better balance when you bring a company in like an AEW uh, who's got a lot of uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of learning they got to you know, you know, in these next few years uh, with. With TNTs, they're, you know it's only a few months into the campaign, but uh, it's going to be real, real interesting to to see uh, where where AEW is going to take it as far as these these two new shows and uh, it's, and avoid some of the pratfalls. But like I said, AEW not just going with some of the big names, guys. They're finding a way to balance it, and I think that too is what could keep a wrestling fan interested.
2: Absolutely, and and I think that it's it was a very smart move on their part to also have a Chris Jericho as their first champion and as like the face of the company, because in my opinion, I believe that that man is bar none, one of the absolute smartest professional wrestlers on the planet. Um, And I think that, you know, to have his mind along with, you know, Dustin Rhodes and so many others backstage. um, I think that it's going to be, it's going to be hard for them to fail. Um, just because you know, of uh you, you have so many people that care about the the bare roots of professional wrestling working together backstage. So I know that they all want to succeed and I think that you know, with that mindset, it's going to be, like I said, very hard for them to fail. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and the fact too that it, it, they're they're kept hungry with some competition on Wednesday nights, and it's a vice versa thing for the WWE's NXT brand uh, for these guys to kind of keep up in the ante and keeping the quality of their their product up to a high level. And of course, you can learn, you can watch both of these. You know, thanks to the DVR era, it's a little bit better than the VCR era because sometimes those old machines could crap out on you whenever you're taping one and watching the other. But it, you can really get a chance to watch both shows and, you know, NXT, you know, that's something we can't avoid. I mean, you, you took a look at guys like last week, Keith Lee had his moment in the sun. I mean, talk about another, another one of those guys that, that came up through the circuit, uh, you know, really worked hard and now is starting to get a big platform on a company, uh, you know, under the WWE branch like NXT.
2: Absolutely. I, you beat me to it. I was just going to bring him up. It was, it, it's such a cool week for, you know, Texas professional wrestlers, you know, because you guys talked about NWA and Thunder Rosa winning the NBA World's Women's Championship and, and Ricky Starks winning the the television championship and Keith Lee winning the NXT North American Championship. I've, I've been on shows with Keith Lee basically since I started in 2010. And to see him go from who he was back then you know uh, at a what was like in a barn in Killer Tim Brooks's backyard to a main stage for the WWE and winning one of their top NXT championships it it was absolutely unbelievable and I'm I'm very happy for him and he he's a guy that I anytime that I see him he is at least to me he is still the same Keith Lee all has always treated me the same way, and uh, yeah, I, I'm very happy for him.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, who on the indie circuit that we haven't really talked about that you've worked with now over here recently? Who are some of the guys that you have enjoyed working with, and that you might think have a little little something uh, that might uh, you know have them? Uh, you know, I guess who are who are some of the up and comers that you you would brand as uh, ones to look out for, watch for here in 2020 and beyond that you've had some time to watch or work in the ring with.
2: Um. So I, when I'm asked this question, I usually mention the same two or three people, but I'm going to talk about guys that are like three years and under, and I'm going to point out two for sure. So first of all, uh, Will Alday. Will Alday um, to me is he has progressed insanely well um, since he came out of a Reality of Wrestling. Um, he has done some amazing things. And uh, I have yet to wrestle him one-on-one, but I want to because I think that we could tear the house down. Uh, in my opinion, he is very smooth, very clean, and he works as if he has been in the business for at least five years. So I think that he just hit two. And then another person that I want to spotlight has been in the business. I don't even know if he's been in, in front of audiences for a year yet. Um, But Cade Carson, he is a graduate of the Lion's Den Dojo under Houston Carson. And this dude, if he keeps it up, is going to be a star. Um, I've wrestled him one-on-one twice. And both times, I was absolutely impressed with with his demeanor, his um his personality in and out of the ring how he carries himself um it's just, it's uncanny how good he is for the amount of time he's been in the business and it goes along with what I've always said to like I believe that the time in the business is just a number like what matters is what you've done in that time frame rather than the the amount of years that you've had so I think that if Cade keeps it up, that he's going to be an absolute star.
0: All right, so those are the ones to look out for. I, I, I see the WWE is going to be back uh, with Raw here in in Texas in, in early 2020. I mean, you've made some appearances uh, on on Raw's past and WWE programming. Uh, will there be a possibility that you could be in the area when, when Raw's in the area in, the, in Texas?
2: I mean, you know, never say never, my. Uh, my email is always open to them, so I can't uh, confirm or deny anything. But you know, just you know, just keep your eye on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: going to bring Mike back into the conversation, Mike McCurdy. Uh, you ready to roll with a few more questions for our guest today, Mr. Barrett Brown?
1: Well, of course I am, and uh, I- I'm going to I'm going to side with Barrett on this one when he mentions Will All Day and Cade Carson. I've had a chance to see both those guys. Will All Day more than you know, Cade, but both excellent excellent talent will is one of those guys that he goes in and like barrett said earlier he makes you believe it you know you believe what he's doing in that ring and he, his intensity is absolutely amazing and if he ever gets a chance to wrestle barrett yeah i'm buying my ticket i'm gonna tell you that right now <laughs> but Barrett, one thing i'd like to ask you about is you know we're talking about you know kind of the the landscape of professional wrestling right now um before, you know, last time we talked a couple years ago, you know, it was mainly WWE. But now we've got, you know, your WWE. You've got Raw Smackdown. We've got NXT. You've got MLW. You've got AEW. You've got um, SWE, uh, another group you're part of now. They've got a television thing with uh, Right Now TV and on on Fight TV. Uh, a lot of indie groups now do, you know, live media streaming where you can watch their shows on social media or their streaming sites. Twitch TV does a lot of, uh, you know, indie shows and all that you can go and stream in case you can't make it to the show. It's an opportunity for guys to work and it's more opportunities for guys to work. But do you think maybe there's a little bit too much opportunity? I mean, is, is that possible that maybe there's a little bit too much exposure right now that just, it's hard to, you know, to watch it all or to even one group to succeed because there's so much competition
2: that's a good question. Um, and it's hard to say, um, because I've always said that, you know, this business has a place for everybody. Um, I think all in all, it's a good thing just because of the competition aspect. Um, and it's like, it's like I said in my latest, um, 10 year YouTube video. Um, I said that, you know, not just that, you know, this business has a place for everybody, but that, um, I'm trying to put it into words, man. Like, it, it's just—it's so hard to say. I think that people, if you—if you don't watch it on primetime TV, you have a different outlet somewhere else. Like, you can turn on a streaming service and find it there. Um, so, professional wrestling is always going to be available to you, um, because I mean, not just with the WWE network, but you know, you have MLW has a service now. You have. New Japan World, just all these different avenues, and in a way, they all are competition to one another, which helps them, it helps drive them to be even better. So I can see the negatives as far as there being, you know, so many spots, but at the same time, with it, with it, um, with it helping drive people just to be better, it helps put on better shows all in all. So I think that Mostly it's a good thing. Uh, there are definitely more positives than negatives as far as that goes.
1: Now, a point that, uh, you know, a, a gentleman you're, you're acquainted with, in fact, you wrestled him, I believe, just this past weekend, um, the golden boy, Greg Anthony. He's been a guest on our show a couple times. And we've talked about kind of the television landscape and the pro wrestling landscape with him. And one of his takes on it is there is one negative to it. As you said, there's a place for everybody but that's not necessarily a good thing because since there's so many spots that might allow guys that maybe shouldn't be in those spots to get that chance, you know, and it's allowing some of these guys that maybe weren't trained, right. Haven't been trained enough to actually get a chance to work. Do you see that as something that's happening uh, on the indie scene and just like, you know, the landscape right now?
2: Um, In a way. I can kind of see what he's talking about um, because you take, for example, if you have a viral video clip that is seen by the right eyes, you could get a booking somewhere just based off that one clip. I mean, look at where, in my opinion, where Joey Janela's, you know, his fame started was getting thrown off of a roof by Zandig at CZW through what, like three tables on the bed of, of a truck or something like that. Um, It, and, or like just a random highlight video that somebody shares of yours that is seen by a company that wants to bring you in. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean that you had your fundamentals down, but if someone sees something that they like and they want to bring you in, then you're going to fill a spot. And I could see people being brought in without actually Having the fundamentals down, just because they want to see something really cool that they saw on the internet. So, in a way, I can agree with him, but in another way, if it's something that the that the crowd likes, if it's something that people are going to pay to see, then I can also see the other standpoint as well.
1: Now, this just brought up something to me, and I, I kind of I'm interested in this. I'm kind of a little debate with you on this one. Uh, you, you mentioned viral video and you mentioned it's bringing in people, you know, they want to pay to see him and do some like of this. You might know where I'm going with this one. Um, superhuman, superhuman, that guy, he's getting bookings now where people are paying to come see him based on his viral videos of him being tossed through barbed wire, microwaves, whatever, by good friend, Paul. Um, I don't see that as a good thing for the indie scene, because people are paying to come see this guy. I mean, I watch his stuff, and all I think of is that somebody needs to, you know, take control of this dude, because obviously there's just something wrong with him. Yeah. So, kind of, what's your take on that one? Because that's definitely viral. I, at first, I loved it until he started
2: getting bookings. Um, That, I, I don't know. I could see it, like, as a special attraction thing, but whenever he actually became part of shows and started doing some stuff, whenever, you know, he obviously had little to no training. That was whenever, it was kind of a red flag to me just because, you know, we we have to trust people with our bodies in there. And, and I'm at the point in my career now where I, I want to be careful with my body because of things that I might have coming up. And why would I, you know, sacrifice one really cool cheap pop with this guy that has all this internet fame for, you know, the rest of my career. So that's definitely one example of where it could go wrong. Um, and I think that that's a situation where it has to be handled very carefully. And I think that having him involved in an actual match is not the best way to go.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and this guy to the point now, I, I we were talking to Joey Janela, I think he's the one who did it. He actually did a move that was an homage to him where he actually had the crowd chanting, you know, F this, which is what that guy is known for. And you knew who he was, you know, uh, doing it for. So the guy's actually getting people that are actually legit trained wrestlers that are paying tribute or homage to his stupid videos by doing his little chant about juggalos and juggalettes and then doing a move. So the guy's kind of permeating the indie scene. And for me, I'm not I'm not a fan of it. Like you said, I'll watch his stuff. I, I look at him, I laugh, and I, then I go, good God. But no, he should not be in a wrestling ring, near a wrestling ring. He should definitely not be doing spots with trained guys. But guys that have proper training that are on TV are paying homage to him. I just don't get why we're, like, paying tribute to this guy. Why, we're, why he's so more. I mean, I understand he's viral, but he's dangerous. I think that it's
2: also just the situation of, you know, he's, it's like he, he was, he's the flavor of the week. It was something different for a bit and you wanted to ride that fame while it lasted. Um, and I, and I think that it, you know, while it, while it was funny and at its prime, it was, it was a funny thing, but there, there comes a point where you have to let it die down where there's a point where it gets kind of ridiculous. And I think that we have basically reached that point
1: okay now on the flip side of this I'm gonna you know I'm kind of having fun with this conversation a little bit um on the flip side of this and this is a guy that a lot of people have a negative opinion of I enjoy what he does and I think he's earned his spot with AEW and that's Marco Stunt what's what's your take kind of on you know on Marco Stunt
2: I um I've never met Marco um but I I, I'm a I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Marcos. I think that um he handles himself well with what he does. Uh I when I first saw him was honestly in the all in Battle Royal, whenever he actually got his notoriety. Um and I I thought that he was just an underage kid that they threw in there until I saw him do some stuff. And I was impressed. Now I was worried that he was just somebody that was in there doing stuff without knowing actually what he was doing but after watching him and hearing about him from people that know him um i'm a fan and i think that i think that people are too quick to judge based on size which i can you know i can in a way relate to that but i think that if he handles himself or continues to handle himself like he is and I think that if he doesn't give in to, you know, the internet and the naysayers and all that stuff, I think that he's going to be just fine. And I think that he needs to keep doing what he's doing because he just had, what, the best week of his life on the on the Jericho cruise. He's going to have like his own concert next year on the cruise. Like he's he's living the dream, and I'm and I'm proud of him.
1: Now, another one I want to talk about. We're talking about TV exposure and all that. You know, AEW, MLW, and you know all that and you do get guys on there that you know there are going to be the naysayers marco stunt unfortunately is one of them but you know there are other guys that i feel have benefited from this uh one of those is orange cassidy i think orange cassidy kind of gets another short end of the stick. it's a weird little gimmick with his little kicks and all that but the fans enjoy it and once he actually starts wrestling he is i think pretty talented in the ring um do you see that now that with all the television exposure, it's getting people a chance to come out of the woodwork and kind of show what they can do, but then also they're exposing themselves. To these people that are going to be like, Oh, that guy's garbage. That guy's garbage. You know, and do you think that's kind of not fair to them?
2: Yeah. That, I, I hear so many different opinions on, on that character. Uh, and like you said, he he is a very talented individual and I actually, I got the chance to um, share a ring with him a few years ago, and, and I can say that you are correct. He is very talented, and I think that he has just found something that is different, that works for him, and somehow the audience relates to it. Um, I know that as many people that love it, just as many people, if not more, hate it, but it, it's just it's a weird thing whenever you know, he week in and week out gets the biggest pops from the crowd almost every single week. And as much as you know, as much as I or anyone else might hate it, you can't really deny the reaction that he gets from the fans whenever he gets to going because he is very talented and I think that Um, I think that if he finds a way to mix more of the believability with what he does, I think that he's going to be unstoppable.
1: All right. Well, let's go back to uh, what you're doing now and all that. Like I said, we've talked New Japan and um, AEW, MLW, any of those. Do you see, You know, do you have interest in, uh, if they were to contact you, is this something you'd be interested in with AEW or MLW? I know right now you're with um, SWE, which like I said, is now on fight television, but you know, are any of these groups kind of something, you know, that's in your radar that you're kind of striving to, or are you focusing more on your New Japan training right now?
2: I would, uh, I would be open, you know, to a wrestling, uh, for either one of them. But you know, right now, my, my primary focus is, um, on New Japan, but at the same time, I don't want to put all of my chips in one basket. Um, just because I want to have an open mind as far as this business, um, because, and I've always said this, that, you know, you want to have an overall final destination, but at the same time you want to enjoy the journey. So wherever the journey takes me is where it's going to take me. So if that journey, you know, takes a detour through, you know, and AEW taping, if it goes through MLW, if it goes through NWA Power or wherever else, man, you know, I'm I'm open to to whatever um because right now my ultimate goal is to wrestle in japan um but however i get there is how i'm going to get there so i'm just going to continue to work hard and hope for the best and just enjoy the trip
1: now for our listeners you know if they want to follow more on what you're doing or you know where you're going to be you know what do you have coming up and where can people find you on social media
2: you can find me on Facebook, obviously, um, on Instagram at BarrettBrownTC1 and uh, mostly on Twitter at TCO underscore BarrettB. Um, throughout, the, throughout the rest of January and throughout the month of February, I'm going to be mostly actually based around the Dallas area and in Oklahoma. Um, and then it really starts picking back up around March. And I got some stuff that I can't really – announced just yet but just keep track with me on social media and uh, I'll keep you guys up to date
1: and also you have a website as well where people can go to uh you know watch your your video blogs you just said you posted a a 10-year uh youtube video
2: absolutely so go to my website that's barrettbrownpro.com you'll have uh access to a lot of my blogs my old vlogs um different videos highlight videos as well as a merchandise store that is open that's going to have some new stuff coming very soon as well.
1: All right, Glenn. I'll pass the microphone back over to you because I'm sure the timekeeper's, uh, you know,
0: waiting for us. Oh yeah, I'm getting the eye from the the lady with the bell and the hammer, and I don't want that hammer to hit me. Hit the bell, lady. It's time uh, to wrap up this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. A big thank you to Barrett Brown for stopping by and uh, talking. Oh man, it was a good good hour. All you know, it's always fun to get uh, somebody to talk about what they're go what they're doing and where they're going in the pro wrestling business. For Barrett Brown and my co-host Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. You've been listening to Rastlin' Memories Then and Now.